invite you to turn in your Bible this morning to Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13. This morning we're really coming to the end of an extended sermon that Jesus has been giving, which began in chapter 12, verse 1. And now Jesus, in a sense, summarizes and concludes and applies his message in our text this morning, which is verses 6 through 9 of Luke chapter 13. So if you would read along with me, Luke 13, we're going to begin reading at verse 1, but looking particularly at verses 6 through 9. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, and he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So far the reading in God's word this morning. Let's ask for his blessing. Lord Jesus, we want to hear from, from you by your spirit. This is why the word has been given to us. And we believe, Lord, that in the preaching of the word, you are... Uh, speaking to your people, and so we pray you give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, uh, and, and to care, and to receive, and to respond. For Jesus, these words are meant to, uh, for our response, and so we pray you would give us that gift in Jesus' name, amen. As we've uh, noticed, as we've been going through this sermon of Christ, uh, Jesus, uh, what he's doing in this, in this sermon is just peeling back layers of spiritual ignorance spiritual blindness. Jesus wants people to see. He wants people to see reality as it really is. And and when Jesus uh, thinks about reality as it is, uh, he always means reality uh, as it should be seen from the perspective of eternity. Jesus has his eyes always fixed on eternity. And so when he talks about uh, in this, if you remember as we be going through this sermon, he exposes the folly of being afraid of people because all people can do are temporal things, even hard temporal things, but it's just temporal. They can kill your body. Don't be afraid of people who can just do that. Be afraid of the one who has, can have eternal significance and eternal ramifications, the one who can cast your body and soul into hell. Uh, he exposes the foolishness of living for temporary things in the rich fool. Here's a man who had it good. He had life the way everyone wants to have life. And yet Jesus says to him as he's planning to build bigger barns so he can increase his enjoyment of temporary fleeting things, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. you See, the man is not living like a fool if this life is all there is. But in light of eternity, the folly is it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. 
And Jesus, as he walks through Israel, he just notices this blindness to long-term reality, this blindness to eternal things, this blindness to the judgment of God, and the fact that every person actually does have a soul and is going to live body and soul either in the blessedness of being in the presence of Jesus Christ and living in the glory of God forever and ever, or the unspeakable horror of living without God in torment forever and ever. That's reality. And Jesus this morning wants the audience that he's speaking to and the audience that he's speaking to today to hear that, to see that. Now this uh, parable that Jesus tells is uh, sort of the, the application, in a sense, of, of a truth that we noticed last week when the, these tragedies took place. Uh, these Galileans went to offer their sacrifices at the temple and, and the Pilate's soldiers had seized them and killed them so their blood mingled with the sacrifices. It was an awful tragedy. And, and, and a tower had fallen over in Jerusalem and, and killed 18 people. And Jesus, uh, someone raised this to just sort of point out the fleeting nature of life, which is very true, but Jesus uses it to point out the fact that people uh, assume that because they're alive, because they're well, they're not in any danger before God. And Jesus says you're, you're in a great deal of danger before God if you do not repent. If you don't repent, there's no safety from divine judgment without repentance. And then he tells this story just to emphasize that point. But in this story, as Jesus wraps up the sermon, we see not only these threats, these warnings, but we see the wonderful kindness and patience and grace and goodness of God. And that's what I hope we see this morning as we uh, look through the story. It's a very simple story, and so it's not difficult then to outline. We'll just take it a step at a time. First of all, uh, Jesus speaks of a man who had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Everyone listening to Jesus would immediately be able to identify with this picture. It's an agricultural society. Many, many of these folks would have their own fig tree. A fig tree was um, a prized possession for a family because of uh, all that it could provide. They grew to about... uh, 25 feet tall, uh, maybe 20 feet in circumference. They were wonderful for shade. If you remember, uh, Jesus says to Nathaniel, uh, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Uh, they were places where people would gather around and, and converse in the heat of the day. But what they were really well known for and prized for was their fruit. A fig tree, a fig tree um, was able to produce fruit almost the entire year. It would, it would have three crops, sort of if you're familiar with cutting hay. You get your first cutting, your second cutting, and sometimes, if you're lucky, you get a third cutting. Well, the um, fig trees would have their first uh, bloom in June, then again in August, and then later in the fall again. Not as uh, full, but they could have fruit for nine months out of the year. And, and uh, people loved the fruit. And so a fig tree was, was a prized possession for a farmer. Well, this man had one, and he put it in his vineyard. He put it in, in, a, in a place where the soil was good, uh, a place where it would be very well cared for, very well protected. And he expected fruit. In fact, it was, uh, there was a pro- Proverbs 27, 18. Uh, it says, he who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who honors his master will receive honor. Uh, a fig tree was sort of a, a symbol of, if you take care of it, it will return results. 
It will, it will provide benefits. If he who tends the tree will eat the fruit of the tree. And so a great deal of care was taken for these fig trees. They would water them faithfully and, and fertilize them and protect them with fences, whatever it was needed, because a fig tree was a delight. But this fig tree had a significant failure. The farmer planted this tree, cared for it, went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. Why did the farmer plant the tree? What was he looking for from the tree? What was he hoping for from the tree? Well, the answer is clear that he, he was looking for fruit. The shade was nice, but it's not really what it was, what it was for. What, what the farmer really desired was fruit. Now, one of the things it's, it's helpful to understand is that when you planted a fig tree, it took four years for that tree to mature so that it could start bearing fruit. So for four years, this man had been year after year, week after week, bringing water, right? Just year after year, he's taking care of this tree for four years. And now on the fifth year, he goes and he looks for fruit. And boys and girls, just think about how eagerly he would do that. I know it's... Um, it's, it's hard to be patient for things, isn't it? Maybe you, uh, you just remember Christmas and how hard it was to wait to open your presents. Or maybe you got a birthday coming up and you can't wait till it gets here. Well, this man had been waiting for four years. And so he eagerly goes now to this fig tree because the fruit could be difficult to see. The leaves were large and the fruit is somewhat small. And so he goes expecting to find fruit and he looks and he's digging through the leaves and there's, there's nothing there. There's no fruit. How disappointing that would be. And yet, apparently, the farmer had comforted himself um, that maybe this tree was just a late bloomer. Uh, he'll give it another year. So for another year, he cares for the tree and, 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 and waters it and fertilizes it. And, and on the sixth year, he goes back and, and exactly the same thing happens. No fruit. And so for another year, he takes care of this tree. And on the seventh year, and that's where we find ourselves in the story, he comes back in the seventh year, and once again, there is no fruit on the tree. For three years, I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Now, those who were listening to him um, would be able to identify uh, that this is a parable, and Jesus isn't just talking about agriculture. He's talking about Israel. Uh, if they knew their Bibles, so they would know the, sto the, the story that Isaiah tells of, of a farmer who planted a vineyard. Isaiah chapter 5, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. Then he built a watchtower on it and cut out a wine press, and he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? That's the tone they would be hearing. They're the fig tree. And God had blessed them over and over and over again. He'd blessed them unlike any other nation in the world. They'd received the law. They'd received the promises. They'd received the ministry of the prophets. They had been well watered, well protected and cared for. And yet, in spite of all of God's blessings, they didn't love Him. They didn't honor Him as their God. Their hearts were always running after false idols. They didn't, they didn't revere Him so that they obeyed Him. They had a form of religion. They had all the external uh, functions of religion, you see, but, but that's just leaves. 
It looks like a vibrant tree. It looks like a healthy tree. But when, when God went to look for fruit in their life, the fruit of, of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and uh, humility and concern for other people, a, a passion for the mission of God in the world, none of it was there. Just leaves, formality. These people worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. And so what they became was just a religious people, proud, moral, self-righteous, religious people, so that Jesus says, not only are they, are they failing to honor God with their fruit, they are in fact being an obstacle to the honor and glory of God because the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. What a horrible thing to be said of God's people. So God's the farmer and the Jews are the fig tree and, and all the blessings that God has given to them year after year after year and yet there is no fruit. And so the judgment then is very clear. He said to the man who took care of the vineyard for three years now, I've come to look for fruit on this tree. And I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? The judgment is severe Cut it down. Drag it away. Throw it on the burn pile. This tree is, is of no use. This tree is, is no good. In spite of all the blessings, it is time for it to be dragged away because there's no fruit. It's a very severe judgment. It's the end of the line. There's, no, there's nothing after this. Judgment, fire, that's, that's what Jesus is talking about. But the case, you see, is airtight, isn't it? There's just no excuse for this tree. The farmer hasn't failed in any way. God says to Israel, judge, you guys decide. You're smart people. Is there any failure on my part? Is there anything I didn't do that I ought to have done? Anything that was left uh, neglected in my care for the tree? In my care for my, for my people? You guys decide. Well, the evidence is overwhelming that no, God hadn't failed in any way. God had been incredibly patient, incredibly kind. And the, and the question is just devastating in its, in its simplicity. Why should it waste the soil? Why cumbereth it the ground, the old King James Version says. Why, why should it be a burden on the ground? Here the ground is giving its nutrients its, uh, to it, and, and the sun is providing its, its rays uh, for it, and, and, and people are caring for it. All this, uh, these resources and energy, uh, all this kindness is being lavished on this tree, and, it, and it's, it's, just, it's just a waste, you see, in that sense. Why should that continue? That's the question. Why should it continue? And there's no, there's no answer to that question. Because there's no reason it should continue. There's utterly no reason at all. And so the, the farmer says, cut it down. Throw it into the fire. But then there's this wonderful note of grace. Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. The servant, you see, um, inter intervenes. Uh, all we've seen so far is, is the owner, the farmer, in the tree, and, and, and the result is, is judgment. But the tree is saved from the, the destruction that it deserves. Someone intervenes. A servant comes. 
And notice he doesn't say that, that the judgment isn't fair. He doesn't protest the judgment. He doesn't say that it's undeserved. And he, does, he doesn't say that the tree deserves another year. No one could possibly argue that with a straight face. The tree does not deserve another year. It doesn't deserve another minute. And yet the servant appeals to the patience of the farmer. Leave it for one more year. That's a large ask. Leave it for one more year, and the servant promises then to engage himself, to intervene, to, to break up the soil, and to, and to fertilize the tree another, another year, and maybe then it will bear fruit. It's a, it's a wonderful story of patience. And it's a wonderful manifestation of who our Lord Jesus is and what he came to do. I just don't want us to miss here. Why would the servant be willing to intervene in this way? Why would the farmer be willing to grant yet another year, another year of effort? And the, the answer is, he said, because that is the character of God. It's the character of God. When God reveals himself to Moses, he reveals himself as the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger, abounding in compassion and love. The God delights in the glory of his patience. We tend to think of God as a, as a threatening God, but we, we so easily miss the patience of God. How year after year after year after year, he blesses people. Not just his own people, but blesses this world with sunshine and with rain and with, with warmth, with water, with everything that they need to live for his glory. And year after year, he comes looking for fruit, and there is none. And the next year, his, his, his mercies are poured out again. God's fundamental disposition, you see, is towards patience, towards kindness, towards grace. That's his fundamental leaning, is towards love. He is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. And his patience has a purpose. Peter uh, talks about God's patience in the days of Noah. Here Noah is building an ark, this, this thing that is unexplainable in the middle of a place where it doesn't rain. Yet for 120 years, people are coming to Noah and say, what are you doing? What is the point of this? What's the meaning of this, of this abstrosity that you're building here out in the middle of nowhere? And Noah, for 120 years, tells them it's going to rain. God is going to judge the world with a flood. And for 120 years, Peter says God was patient in the days of Noah. And Peter draws the lesson from that, that, that God's is patient with you. God is patient with the world today. Why? Because he, he does not desire that anyone would be condemned. That's what the Bible says. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to be condemned. Isn't it amazing how easily we just forget the, the kindness of God day after day after day? If you, when you read the headlines, think, God is so patient. Why is he so patient? And the answer is because he wants people to repent. He wants people to turn. He wants people to be saved. But that patience is not forever. The story ends with the servant's plea. The request apparently is granted. And friends, that's where we find ourselves now here in the year of the Lord, 2016. We are in this period of time where the servant is at work. 
The servant is breaking up the soil of hard hearts, using the law as his, as his tool, in a sense, as, as the law comes and reminds us that we have fallen short of the glory of God, and, and the law brings a sentence to this world that all who've sinned uh, shall, shall die. That, that judgment is not a religious idea. It's, it's, it's the actual truth. It's going to be God's response to this world. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. Judgment is going to happen. And so there's a great urgency, you see, to this time, but it's, it's, it's not just an urgency because of the nature of the, the lateness of the time. There is, I think we need to understand that in God's, in His patience, there is also a holy, righteous frustration. And I, I don't mean frustration in the sense that God's purposes aren't, we get frustrated when our plans don't work out. God's plans always work out. But, but in this story, do, do you sense the farmer's anguish, his grief? What, what more could I have done for you? What was lacking in my care for you? What is it that I haven't done? What is the reason for the fruitfulness? How have I failed? I, I think we need to sense God's um, holy grief when he looks at this world and when he looks at the church so often, people who profess to be Christians. What Jesus wants people to see in this, in this short little parable is that God's patience is for a purpose. It's for the purpose of repentance. The ministry of the servant is for a purpose, the purpose of fruitfulness. It's not time for time's sake. It's not patience simply for patience's sake. In fact, what Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, is that the, the, the kindness of God is to lead us to repentance. The patience of God is to lead us to repentance. And then Peter goes on in the next verse and says, but because you refuse to repent, you are storing up for yourself. You are heaping up for yourself the wrath of God. You see, it, it, it cuts both ways. The patience of God is an amazing gift, but the patience of God is not to be taken for granted because the patience of God will be part of the condemnation that you and I receive if we do not repent. Because we'll stand there in front of God and he'll say, is there anything more I could have done? And we'll have to say, there's absolutely not a single thing more you could have done. And that, in fact, uh, the, 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 the patience and the kindness was just used to continue in the rebellion, you see, unless we repent. Jesus is trying, he's doing all, uh, as he speaks, he is ministering the necessity of repentance. There must be fruit. Must be fruit. We've got to apply that to our lives. Do you realize that we are the most blessed people in the world? Many of you are, grew up in the rich soil of of God's covenant. You were born in a you know, covenant home. You had parents who loved Jesus and who spoke the gospel to you. You went to church Sunday after Sunday and you uh, heard the truth of the word of God and, and the way of salvation. And, and all your life long, God has protected you and he's provided for you. You've, you've not lacked anything. You're among the very most blessed people in the entire world. And the farmer comes into our lives. The God comes into our lives, and, he, and he's looking for fruit, you see. He's, we might have the leaves, the appearance of religion. We might look like the right thing, but, but what God does is he always, he comes looking for fruit. 
The fruit of love for God, actual love for God. The fruit of uh, repentance. Uh, the fruit of humility. The, the, the fruit of grief over sin and increasing gratitude for his gifts. The fruit of a desire to be made more like Christ and a desire to be engaged in his, in his mission. The, those, those are fruits that God is looking for. And, and if those fruits are not there, you see, then there will be judgment. No matter how leafy and green you might appear to be. J.C. Ryle just stunned me. I was reading his book on holiness, and um, I don't remember which chapter it was, but he's preaching, I believe it was on Remember Lot's Wife. Powerful message. And uh, J.C. Ryle just said, the, the issue on the day of judgment will be, where's the evidence? Now, that strikes us a little odd, because we think, well, on the day of judgment, I should just be able to point to Jesus. And yes, you should. <laughs> you see, the, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's my only hope. If I've got to start pointing to the fruit in order to gain the grace and the salvation of God, I'm, I'm lost. My hope is built on His righteousness, but Jesus will say, great, where's the evidence you actually hoped in that? You can sing it. You can say it. Where's the evidence that that actually was your hope? Where's the evidence? Where's the fruit? Friends, you just cannot take this story and make it say anything else. It doesn't say anything else. However, it's, it, it calls for fruit in the context, you see, of the beauty of the Savior. And that's what I, I just so love about this little story. Because Jesus wants us to see not only the, the, the grace and the kindness and the patience of the Father, Jesus wants us not only to see the necessity of repentance for the tree, but Jesus wants us to see the beautiful ministry of the Savior. We have to see the beautiful ministry of Jesus. Jesus is here speaking to dead people who deserve to be cut down a long time ago. John the Baptist came, and, and in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 6, John says, the axe even now is laid at the, fruit, at the root of the tree. There's no reason for Israel to still be in existence, and yet Jesus came exactly for, I've been sent for these people. His mission was to, the, to this fig tree, and his desire was to see this fig tree repent. Jesus loved the people of Israel. He loved this fruitless tree. When Jesus was on his way to the cross, he wept because of their unbelief. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. He loves this tree. And Jesus, when he went to the cross, did not go to the cross, you see, for fruitful fig trees. There were none. He went to the cross for fruitless trees, for people who have received the grace and the patience and kindness of God, and yet have used that patience and kindness over and over and over again to serve their own ends, to go their own way, do their own thing, and rebel against the God who's given them the great gifts. That's the story of your life. It's the story of my life. It's the truth. And yet Jesus Christ intercedes and Jesus brings his, the, the truth of God's character and nature and the holy law that reflects it and he digs up the soil. He tries to, seeks to, to soften that hard heart, break up that hard ground so the, the seed of the gospel can go into your heart and your ear and take root and grow and you, be, you are convicted of your sin, your need for Jesus Christ and you believe and you are saved. That's what he came to do. And we live, brothers and sisters, in this day of grace. We live in a day of a gospel message where Jesus Christ came, the servant interceded, not simply to dig and minister to the, seed, but you see, to the tree, but what Jesus did, you see, he took the 
fruitlessness of our lives and the wrath that we deserve. And he went to the cross and he was cut down. He was cut down. In your place, in my place. So that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we confess our sins and we repent of our sin and turn to Jesus Christ, we will be saved. The Bible promises it. And no matter how much the devil might accuse you or your conscience condemn you, we just read in Romans chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the way you come into Christ Jesus is by confessing your sin and repenting of going your way and turning and saying, Lord Jesus, you are now the Lord and master of my life. I believe your promises. I want to follow you. <clears throat> and you're saved, the Bible says. And now, because you see, if that's happened to you, the Spirit has been given to you, and now, you see, that Spirit is at work to produce fruit. Becoming a Christian isn't just getting your ticket stamped for eternal life. Becoming a Christian is to be made a new person, a new creation, filled with the Holy Spirit, so that you, even you, can start to bear fruit. You can become a different person. I think that's really, really good news. That the gospel is not just that God forgives me. The gospel is that God loves me so much he promises to transform me. And not, never fully in this life. It'll only happen ultimately when I see Jesus face to face. But the Bible says when we, as we see Jesus in this life, we are being transformed. And the power of the Holy Spirit is able to help us grow and to help us help to bring the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And so my final question for you is, is that happening? Would people around you say... Something's happening, something's changing. There's, you're not the same person you were a year ago or maybe five years ago. There's increasing kindness, patience, gentleness, thankfulness. Would your wife say that about you, husbands? husbands uh, wives, would your husbands say that about you? Boys and girls, would your friends say that about you? That you're, not, you're just not as selfish as you used to be. You're more thoughtful of other people. You have, a, you have a greater desire for the word of God. You have a greater joy in the worship of God. You have a greater love for the people of God. It's evident you love the people of God. You love the church. You have a greater hope in the, in the, in the realities of the gospel, even though there's hard things that have taken place in your life. God's doing something in you. Is, 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 would people say that about you? And if they do, praise God. And if they don't, praise God still because they can. Friend, this is a day of grace. This is a day of grace. Jesus Christ is pleading with you today to come and repent and turn to him. Whether you're, you're converted or not converted. You see, if you're not converted, then it's for the first time. And you're finally going to say, I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm going to follow this Jesus. And if you are converted, it's for the thousandth time. You say, I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm going to follow this Jesus. I want the fruit that God gives by his spirit. So when the day of examination comes and God looks into my life for fruit, he finds there all the precious fruits, not that I've borne, but that he's borne in me by the power of the Holy Spirit and because the gospel is true. That's what I want. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? If it is, then I just want to encourage you to think about your life. What, what changes could you make this year to help you grow in fruitfulness for the glory of God? It's going to rain, people. It's going to rain. But on that day, Jesus Christ promises that those who have abided in him, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. May this be a year where we see that happening in our lives for his glory. Amen.
Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your amazing kindness. Thank you for your intercession. Thank you that you intercede for us still at the throne of grace. And thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that in this day of gospel grace and truth and patience, we can grow. Give us a hunger for that. Lord, I pray for anyone who are, any who are not converted this morning that they see their great need for Christ. They realize that judgment is coming and they have, there's no reason that God should continue to show patience to them and that you'd give them the grace to repent. Lord, for anyone here this morning who's walking in foolishness, I pray, Lord, that your words, Jesus, would give them the ability to turn to life, turn to obedience and humility and faith and fruit. Oh, God, help us. Lord Jesus, thank you that your words are life and that you sanctify us by your truth. Sanctify us by this truth this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'd like to invite the elders to come forward for the Lord's Supper.